Welcome back to Mind Science, episode 39. In today's episode, I wanna talk about an aspect of self-realization that gets often misunderstood in non-duality. And this misunderstanding revolves around the term mind and what it means when we say that. And I do acknowledge that this can be a very abstract subject, and so I'm gonna do my best to simplify it for the listener, but I can't make any promises. This may be a video you wanna watch two or three times over because I believe that being able to grasp this concept will provide some radical insights into the nature of consciousness, the self, and reality. When we hear the word mind in non-duality, we typically think of the thinking, perceiving, and analyzing mind. And we're also taught that the world is your reflection or your mirror. And this is true but it's actually a lot more true than we even realize. In fact, the world is not even your reflection, but it's even closer than that. The world you experience is yourself because it is the physical manifestation of the thinking, perceiving, and analyzing mind. Or to put it a more simple way, you are what you experience. Now, I imagine that your mind probably just threw up some resistance when it heard this statement. And I want you to pay attention to that resistance. Notice how your mind probably said something like, well, that's absurd. I'm not what I experience. The world is separate from me. I have nothing to do with it. See, the ego desperately doesn't want to take responsibility for what it experiences because that would imply that it isn't separate. It wants to see itself as a victim of reality so it can always cast the blame outside of itself for all of its problems. The ego only remains alive in your mind by maintaining separation from what it experiences. That's why it's always labeling it and judging it. And so it will find offense to these kinds of empowering statements. And this is the origin of victim consciousness. I am separate from the world I experience, therefore I am a victim of the world. As I've said in a few previous videos, perception is creation, and you perceive everything according to who you are in that moment. What you perceive is what you create, and what you create is what you experience. And so this is why dissolving the imaginary boundary between experience and experiencer is the bridge to enlightenment, because enlightenment is that very recognition itself. There is nothing outside of me. But a common question that I'm met with on this subject is, but Aaron, I don't get it. If, if you're saying that the world is my reflection or I am what I experience, and I'm walking down the street one day and I see someone getting murdered, which happens all of the time, of course, <laughs> then you're saying that I am a murderer because I'm seeing it? That doesn't make any sense. And this is where we can find the answer to this common question. Reflection is never about what you see, but how you see it. How your mind reacts to anything it sees is what is reflecting your quality of consciousness in that moment. And so this is the closest answer we can ever get to the eternally unanswerable question, who am I? You are what you experience.
Lesson one of A Course in Miracles says, nothing I see means anything. Lesson number two says, I have given everything all of the meaning that it has. And so when we hear the teaching that the world is your projection, we take that to mean that the objects in the world made up of atoms and molecules are your projection. And these objects have a predetermined meaning given to them by the universe. But in fact, the universe has given nothing, any meaning whatsoever. Everything is inherently neutral and empty of meaning. So whatever anything means to us is simply a collective agreement about a label that the human race has decided upon over time. So in that way, we're never actually seeing an object. We are always seeing an agreement about a label. For example, because you know I love examples, if you put a reclining chair in the middle of a herd of wildebeests, are they going to know it's a chair? They certainly aren't going to call it a chair, and they probably aren't going to sit back and recline in it either, although that's kind of a fun mental picture. In reality, they're probably going to approach it cautiously and try and discover if it's a threat or a prey animal. And once they discover it's not a threat, it becomes meaningless to them. That's because they can only see it as they are. But to a human, that arrangement of molecules we call a chair has very important and agreed upon meaning. And everything is like this. Relationships, interactions, laws, stories, food, you name it. Everything we see in the world are simply agreed upon labels. And an enlightened mind is simply a mind that is pristinely aware of this fact. And to complicate things even further, every single person also has their own opinions about these agreed upon labels, which is a second layer of projection. It's an ugly chair, or it's a beautiful chair. Now it has been doubly labeled by the mind, and now I interact with it on the basis of my personal label and the agreed upon one. But in truth, the chair is neither beautiful nor ugly. It is whatever you say that it is. Because the chair is a reflection of you. And what we call good and bad are really just human desires. What we desire, we call good. And what we don't desire, we call bad. Whatever meaning that a mind gives to something is based upon the level of consciousness of that mind. And so the ordinary person thinks that the words we call things are what they actually are. And so we never actually relate to the reality of the thing itself, but we only relate to the mind's labels and opinions about it. We only see the form and we never see the essence. And this is what A Course in Miracles means when it says, let us not forget that words are merely symbols of symbols. Thus, they are twice removed from reality. Let's suppose that there's two people walking down a city road, and they walk past a homeless man begging for money. The first person's consciousness calibrates at 150, which is the level of anger. And so this person says, what a pathetic thing to do, looking for free handouts and begging for money 
in the United States of America. Get off your ass and get a job like the rest of us, you freeloader. Continues walking. The next person who walks by calibrates at 500, which is the level of love. So this person stops, asks the man how he's doing, and offers to buy him a meal. So one person saw a freeloader looking to take advantage of others. The other person saw someone who needed to be loved. So which one had the correct perception? Ultimately, neither of them, because they both only saw their own state of consciousness. You only ever see your own state of being. And so the best question to ask is never, what's the one right way of seeing this? But rather, what kind of experience do I want to have? What we call mind is actually made of two equal and opposite polarities, the unmanifest and the manifest, or the knower and the world. The knower is the experience of I, of being the subject. No matter what is experienced, there is always an I who experiences it. This is the unmanifest polarity of the mind, in that it does not have any objective qualities, such as height, weight, or age, but it undeniably exists. The manifest polarity of mind is what we call the world. It is what we see when we open our eyes each morning. The knower needs something to interact with so that mind can learn, experience, and know itself. The world is manifest in that it is full of qualities such as colors, shapes, and sounds. But it does not actually exist because it is constantly changing and everything in it is impermanent. The knower is the permanent, fixed, and unchanging aspect of mind. The subject is always there, no matter what is experienced, and its essence never changes. The world, however, is always in a state of flow. Therefore, what we call self-realization is the knowledge that the knower and the world, or subject and object, are one. They are simply two aspects of one indivisible self. When this is realized, whatever is experienced is met with total acceptance and non-resistance. You begin to love the world the way you love yourself. And this is the basis of the golden rule that Christ spoke of. Upon this discovery, body consciousness is annihilated because it is seen that the physical body is also the world. If the sun did not shine, the body could not live. If the trees did not breathe, the lungs would have no oxygen. The body eats the food from the earth, and the earth becomes the body. Everything is indistinguishably one. We think that we are born into the world, but it is in fact the world that is born with each and every perception that we have of it. We are giving everything life, meaning, and purpose. The I am feeling now includes both the subject and the object of experience. When the sense of I is no longer projected onto the body, but rests equally upon the whole universe, the I becomes the all-pervading self. So we can see that 
the only reason that our experience seems to say, I am this body, is because the mind continues to label the body as I. The mind is constantly localizing our sense of I onto the body, which then implies the duality that whatever's not this body must not be I. And so the mind keeps this constant localization of I going by identifying with everything the body does. My action, my thoughts, my feeling. And everything else outside of that is called the world. And so this is all that a person really is. It is only possible to think of oneself as a separate individual person so long as this division exists between our sense of I and the world that I experiences. Our sense of I is actually universal, but we can't know that so long as it's being localized onto a body every minute of every day. But the good news is that through contemplation, meditation, and self-inquiry, this constant identification with the body will begin to wear off. Asking oneself questions like, could the I even know itself without a world? And if it couldn't, then can they really be said to be two different things? Constantly asking oneself these kinds of questions and inquiring into the nature of I will reveal to you the most glorious discovery. This inner awareness that we refer to as I is pervading everything, which means that when I no longer consider the body to be I, that sense of I remains everywhere I look. The grass is I, the clouds, the birds, the sky, and all sentient beings are also I. All things radiate forth an intense aliveness because it is clear that everything is knowing itself as I am. And the realization dawns that there is only one subject, one I in the universe. And so this is what it means to say that the world is your reflection. You are not a body. You are pure consciousness. And so the way in which you perceive reality is a direct indication of who you are in that moment. If you believe yourself to be a body, then you will see a separate world full of errors and mistakes that are worthy of judgment. But if you know yourself as pure awareness, then you will see the perfection of all things, that everything is alive with the consciousness of I.